Hey everybody, welcome to Hammer Down, the, uh, the, the podcast focused on supply chain careers, the cool things that are available, the cool opportunities that are out there, and the cool people doing those cool things. I am delighted today uh, to be joined by Jordan Dickerson. Jordan is with Bad Birdie Golf, and uh, you know I, we, we met each other on LinkedIn, so this is the first time we've chatted, which is pretty exciting. Um, and I'm very excited to find out more about how we get the world's ugliest pants into the people that really need to wear them. Jordan, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Mike, thanks so much for having me. Really, really uh, thrilled that you, you asked me to join. Uh, such a treat to have you, Jordan. Tell me a little bit about Bad Birdie Golf. What a, you know, I, I made a joke about, about ugly pants, and that's just because I'm a terrible golfer. So, you know, I, I hate the things I can't be, right? Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the company. Yeah, so Bad Birdie is uh, about six years old now. Um, it started initially as uh, uh, our founder, Jason, um, had, a, had a vision uh, when he was living out in L.A., I'm actually working at the, the film business. Uh, he, he wanted a golf polo that was more reflective of his, his personality. And, and he saw everything out there was kind of super stuffy and, and kind of, um, you know, sort of sort of old school. And he just wanted that really reflected his personality. So he actually went down to the garment district and, and just found some like, you know, bright, vibrant, all over print fabrics and, and found someone who could, could sew him a, a couple of polos just for himself. Um, ended up liking them and he threw a couple hundred up on online on a Shopify site um, to see if people would buy them. Uh, sold out in the first batch and so he sort of kept doing this as a side gig, I think, for the first year or so. Um, eventually sort of took off and um, yeah, sort of became this brand built around, uh, you know, really empowering people to be themselves around golf. Golf is typically kind of a, um, a seemingly uh, gated off sport for some people and it, it can be kind of intimidating and um, you know, really the mission is to, to encourage people to, to just come as they are to the, to the game, um, really show their personality and, and sort of let their hair down. Um, so, yeah, it's become over, over the last six years, um, you know, that's really sort of the, the hallmark is still the, the very bright and all over print polos. Um, but over the last year or two, we've sort of expanded more into sort of lifestyle apparel and, um, you know, some just sort of broader appeal. Also have a, a women's line now. Um, so, yeah, still sort of, you know, centered around, around the game of golf. but. Um, just more sort of everyday, every occasion um, lifestyle apparel. So, Jordan, how long have you been with the company? So, I'm actually a bit newer to the company. I joined uh, almost a year ago now, um, right out of year, um, January 2023. Okay, cool. Well, welcome. Congratulations. Um, so, a couple of questions along those lines. One, what was it about the company that you attracted that you were attracted to? And then, two, what are some of the the, the challenges? So, if I've got this right. We start out kind of in a side hustle, probably a bit of a just in time. Hey, look, I'm going to order a hundred. I'll try to sell a hundred shirts. If they go, they go to what I'm assuming is more of a, a real, like honest production environment. Tell me about, you know, one, what attracted you to the company Two, if I'm right with that assumption, kind of what it is you're building. There are a couple of things that really drew me to the company. First and foremost, you know, I had over the course of the pandemic, um, you know, I've really the last few years of my career, primarily worked in sort of high growth startup environments or earlier stage startup environments. Um, and I've been doing that over the course of the pandemic. Um, was working for an e-commerce e grocery concept that was based out of Chicago. It was primarily working remote here in, in Arizona. Um, and honestly spent a couple of years just in my home office here by myself. And I was getting really stir crazy. And I, I missed the feeling of being in a room with people building something in the early days, early stages. Um, just that sort of like in-person camaraderie that, that you get. Um, so when when the e-commerce grocery company um, when we when we shuttered that, 
I was like, I really want to sort of be in the room with people again. So that sort of centered my search here in Phoenix. Um, the other part of it was uh, I missed that feeling of working for a brand that is really kind of in the in some element of like a cultural zeitgeist. So I was really fortunate and lucky enough to, to work for Uber back in 2016 and 2017, really when that was sort of, um, you know, the buzziest startup that there that there was really to work for. And, you know, Bad Birdie, obviously sort of a different scale and a, a much different space, but I just heard a ton about this brand and more importantly, like anybody who, who I, I saw wearing the product, um, everything I heard about it from the customer perspective, People absolutely love the brand. So the, the the affinity for the brand from people who were customers already. Um, I hadn't seen some that that sticky in a while. And you know, coming out of more sort of tech-centered companies, um, the ability to work for an apparel company in the D2C space, primarily in the D2C space, really checked a couple of boxes that I just hadn't been able to check yet from a career perspective. So um, it really sort of brought some some excitement from, in terms of new things that I could experience. Um, and so, yeah, it's been this awesome, awesome time of joining a company that's, that's still in that like sort of um, scaling, high growth phase, but in sort of a, a new, a new context or a new perspective than than what I was used to. Uh, and yeah, you're, you're totally right. Some of the challenges, you know, sort of joining the brand is um, it started off as really, you know, all D to C. Um, you know, before I joined, the first couple of years, I think it was 100 percent, 100 percent e-commerce. Over the last couple of years. They really sort of experienced uh, some some growth and buy-in from from the the wholesale retail side. So we've got some amazing wholesale customers now, including you know Nordstrom, Dick Sporting Goods, PGA Tour Superstore, um, and and really in in 2022 into 2023, that that mix of being you know 100 percent D to C and then 80 20. When I joined, we were about 60 65 percent D to C, the rest wholesale. We've really over the last year come to, to more 50 50. Um, so that comes with a lot of a lot of you know growing pains and new challenges from a wholesale compliance standpoint. Um, do you have the right partners who have you know the D to C muscle is sort of very specific, and when you're dealing with, with wholesale customers uh, in that world, it really sort of requires some some different skill sets. So you know sort of level setting on do we have the right partners in place to, to execute on this growth in, in new channels. Um, and still maintain our competencies on the DVC side. It's really been our bread and butter. Um, it's just a, a, a challenging, but also exciting space to be in because um, you know, you're really having to do a lot of new things for the first time. Jordan, what were some of the most interesting requests you got on the wholesale side? So you started, you mentioned a couple of, of huge names, like big, big sporting goods and Nordstrom. With, without naming names, what was sort of the more interesting or specific ask that made everybody on the team kind of say, wow, I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah, absolutely. So I think you, you, you touched on it uh, in the, the last question you mentioned, you know, having going from that just-in-time uh, environment to you're really on a, a sort of larger um, production schedule and a different production scale. When you're working with wholesale customers, you, you know, the DNC side, you sort of dictate your pace, you dictate your timelines, you can schedule your, your online drops whenever you want them and sort of work backwards from there in terms of design, production, um, then inbound timing and, and all you know flowing through the fulfillment center. When you're working with larger wholesale customers, they really, you know, especially at scale, uh, have the, the agency, the leverage to really sort of dictate upstream to you. So you're dealing with a whole other set of 
of uh, you know timings and constraints from a hey when do we actually get the the main PO from the customer when do we get the split from main you know parent PO to the DCs we're going to be shipping into to what stores are they going to want those end units to go to so you're dealing with more complexity around you know the sales orders that you're now producing against one to one so that you know that that creates more purchase orders with your manufacturers upstream because sometimes you're, you're producing one-to-one for a sales order that that the wholesale customer is giving you um, but you also may not have visibility at the time of production in terms of hey where do they want these you know these units to go and so by the time you actually get it to your your dc it's been packed one way for manufacturer but now they're going to place you know hey this time we want to place po's by store this time we want to place um, or sorry sales orders by store this time we want to place sales orders by style, by store. So you have hundreds of, of sales orders for one retailer across a number of stores and, and a number of DCs. So trying to, you know, as a as a lean company, as a bootstrap company um, that's still growing, trying to, to manage your costs and your efficiencies um, upstream when you sort of don't have all the variables in hand when you start production from like from a packing standpoint, from a quantity standpoint. Can be really really tough, and you deal with a lot of sort of gray area. And so, trying to to keep cost in line, be able to forecast effectively with sort of those those bigger question marks at the sort of the customer endpoint, um, definitely add a lot of challenges. Um, so I'd say those are some of the, the ones that we're we're dealing with now. And, and as you grow, you just really sort of have to have to um, you know a make sure you execute on those requests as you get them, and then sort of as you get a bit more buy-in from those customers and you, you get a bit more history and track record, um, it you know becomes more of a more of a, a dance where where you start to come back and say, hey, we need to maybe change a few things to you know increase our efficiencies and also try to find the win-win for the customer to say, hey, this is actually gonna this save gonna save you some costs, um, but maybe get us, you know, these these segmented sales orders 90 days out as opposed to 30 days out. Um, things like that. Now you talked about the fact that this is a scaling company and, and if I heard it right in the beginning, you kind of said, look, our, our, our heritage was we went down to the garment district in LA, we found somebody to make some stuff. Touting, you know, or, or discussing some of the manufacturing partners you're working with, what percentage of goods are being created here in the US? You know, have you started to either nearshore or, or, mo- or, or move production into uh, Asia or Eastern Europe or where, 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 where are you sourcing materials? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the lion's share of our stuff is produced overseas, um, really probably 95% plus is overseas, but we, we're pretty diverse in that we have a good chunk still in China, um, but we also have uh, actually a growing percentage of our, of our production in Peru, which has been a really interesting origin to work with, um, and then a good, good percentage of production in South Korea. Um, so as we've grown, we sort of tried to diversify our, our, our mix of manufacturers. Um, you know, we have, our, from a material standpoint, we do sort of have a, a higher end, um, pretty sort of specific feel to our apparel. So that kind of limits the amount of like A-B testing that we're able to do because we want to make sure that we're um, delivering the same product and experience to the customer as we grow. Um, so we, we've dealt with, you know, really the, the main challenge is there is, you know, bringing in freight from Peru is much different than bringing in freight from China and you know, we've experienced, you know, a lot more difficulties, whether it's from a customs perspective or, or just a, um, a consistent timing perspective out of Peru than, than a China. Um, 
so as we grow, I think we, we do have to do some more of our like limited drops. That's one of the cool things about being, you know, being omni-channel, but still having sort of a, an emphasis on sort of limited quantity, um, sort of fast from idea concept to dropping the product um, element to our brand. We do some, some smaller sort of uh, custom runs here in the States for things where, you know, we launch a new retail store. Maybe we only have two months of visibility on, hey, our next retail store is going to be in Newport Beach. And so we spun up a really quick, you know, custom t-shirt and hat for that Newport Beach store and produce that here in the States. Um, I think that's one thing that we're going to be looking towards a lot in 2024 and 2025 is how do we take our current manufacturer base that we've kept kind of static as we've grown and really more played with the, the mix of, mix of um, you know, production volume that we do across those existing origins. How do we maybe add some new origins to our mix as we grow just to further diversify and, and, and de-risk our supply chain um, as you know things start to, to ebb and flow internationally over the next couple of years? Sure. So Jordan, do I have this right? At the same time, you're, you're tacking on somewhat demanding or demanding is the wrong word, but particular partners who have you know their own way of operating in order to, because they're Fortune 500 companies, they, they've established their, their precedent. You're now adding in production from three different countries with three different languages, bringing those in at the same time you're trying to figure out exactly how everything works with those new relationships. Am I, do I have it right? Absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. Gotcha. Well, yeah. What else have you done for me lately, man? Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a lot of complexity, but a lot of fun. Oh, it, keeps it, it, keeps it, it keeps it interesting. <laughs> What do you think of what's the best part of your day to day or what's the best part of, uh, of working for, for Bad Birdie Golf right now? I think, honestly, it's the, the fact that because we're growing, because we're, you know, constantly um, encountering new challenges, you're going to have a diverse problem set to work on every day. Um, you know, I, I think that's one thing that I've always loved about working in startups or earlier stage companies and doing it in the apparel space. It, it adds such. Um, such a new breadth of, of problems just because apparel is a, it's a really, really difficult space to be in to begin with. Even if you're an older company that has a very sort of set, um, mix of customers and manufacturers, it's, I had no clue before I joined that, you know, there's sort of this, um, there's kind of like maybe a, a bit of hubris in the, the BC back tech world of, you know, what we're working on is the most complex, difficult stuff in the, in the world. I had no clue how difficult clothing and apparel really is. Um, so there's, you know, this really interesting combination of right brain and left brain problem sets to work on. You know, um, you know, you, you have a set X factory date from a manufacturer when you think you're going to get a certain product out and that has to hit a, a very specific sort of ocean freight expected timeline from origin to destination. And then you're working in, you know, here's our expected timing is going to take to get through our fulfillment center. Well, then you have, you know, the end customer say, hey, we actually need this stuff on hangers this time. Um, and if you don't put it on hangers, you're going to get this, this sizable fine from us as a chargeback. And then you find out from the manufacturer at the same time, hey, that, you know, that fabric, um, our farm didn't have the same yield of that type of cotton that we thought we were going to have. So we have to source it somewhere else. It's going to add two weeks, three weeks to our production time. And you have both those things happen at the opposite ends of the equation at the same time. And you went from being, hey, we're golden to we just lost a month of lead time. Um, how are we gonna, gonna fix this? Um, so just every single day, um, new problems to solve, but that also leads to to new solutions that you can add to your to your toolkit. Um, 
And uh, just, yeah, just a really, really fun environment. I think it's also, just to add to that, we're working with really creative people and really analytical people. Um, and, and it's just a really fun team to work alongside with every day. All right, who's your favorite golfer? Got to know. Favorite golfer? Uh, well, I mean, I have to, I have to go with the can answer of, of Tiger Woods, I think. Um, only because I, I'll say, you know, growing up as, as, you know, a biracial kid in the South, it was, that was the first time that I saw somebody who looked like me playing golf. Um, and it really sort of inspired me to, to get into the sport. Um, so I, you know, I think that that's probably, probably my, my, my number one answer. Um, it, it's just tires because of, of what, what a, what a game changer he was for the landscape of golf. And I think it really also echoes, um, echoes the, the mission of our brand, which is just to encourage people, no matter their background, um, to just get into the sport and just give it a shot. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's really, it's, uh, it's, it's a welcome place for anybody. Awesome, man. Love it. So the final question I ask all of our guests here is, uh, one, so th the podcast is really aimed at, you know, again, touting the, the cool people doing cool things in supply chain as a way to encourage new and, and or recent grads to think about this industry, right? Like my, my working supposition is most people fell into it or were a legacy into it. Nobody woke up and said, I want to go work for a trucking company. What advice would you give to somebody who's in that situation? They're about to graduate college. Maybe they're a couple months away thinking about their first job, trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up. And there's this trillion dollar industry out there that they're like, I don't know anything about it. What, 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 what would, what would you tell that person? Yeah, honestly, I think my biggest, my biggest word of advice, and this really sort of dovetails with just where I think the job market is for, for college graduates and, and sort of entry level, um, you know, uh, prospects right now is, just start. You know, when I I graduated from college in 2000, or 20, 2010, um, and it was sort of right on the heels of like the Great Recession. It was a super difficult time to to get a, a job or start a career as a, as a college graduate, um, and it was sort of logistics adjacent, not directly in the supply chain. But my, my first job was as a management trainee for for Hertz Rental Car. You know, I, I went to went to Vandy in Nashville and. You know, starting college, I thought I'd get out and have this, you know, sort of ideal, um, you know, career path waiting for me. And by the time I graduated, it was like, take a number, like, we'll get to you in a couple of years when we have something. Um, you know, I, I interviewed for a full year before I got my first job and it was making $10 an hour washing cars, um, essentially. But I, I think if you, if you just find the starting point anywhere in the area you're wanting to work in at some point, for me, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. When I grew up at the time, it was just sort of the job I could get. I was able to go from, from washing cars to, to renting cars, to managing people that, that rent cars, to learning how you know we moved cars around around the region and the nation, um, to then you know learning how to buy cars in procurement, um, learning how to move cars at a larger scale, and then you know ultimately learning how more things than just cars move, and like just establishing those concentric circles of of knowledge and expertise um, from whatever starting point you have to you have to start at. Um, so I really think don't you know don't despise the day of small beginnings and just start. Some of the, the most incredible leaders I've met in logistics and supply chain um, started their careers you know uh, picking orders on the warehouse floor or you know as a you're trained to be a forklift operator um, you know starting out as a you know entry level associate at a freight brokerage like wherever you have to start like just get that experience. Um, but keep your eyes open and, 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 uh, you know, be aware of the things around you because more than likely you're going to get the exposure to other aspects of the supply chain. And 
It's going to be through the learning the parts of, of the business around you that you discover what your real passion is. Um, so yeah, my, my biggest thing is just start. You know, if it's if it's working at working at a warehouse, you know, I, I'm big on just just going out there, getting real world experience wherever you can, um, and, and just don't don't look down on that, don't despise it. Um, it's tough to get the perfect job right out of the gates. Uh, just start. Jordan, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you? Absolutely. Um, uh, LinkedIn, uh, just search for Jordan Dickerson. My, my actual URL is Jordan D. Dickerson. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, Jordevent, J-O-R-D-E-V-A-N-T. Um, also, just shoot me an email, jordan at badbirdygolf.com. And uh, yeah, any one of them. All right, Jordan, thanks so much for being guest on Hammer Down. Hey, to all of our listeners, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, if, if you enjoyed the show, uh, please give us a rating. And whether it's the iTunes Store, Spotify, uh, anywhere you get your podcasts, et cetera. Jordan, thanks so much, man. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.